Hi, I'm your host, Susan Nay. Welcome to the podcast series, HR Inside Out. It's a series designed to help you demystify HR and the human resource processes. We're going to talk about people management and get the goods on and see how all this stuff works. You're going to hear from everyday heroes and get their perspectives as we touch on a wide variety of topics, topics that impact us in our work and in our work environments. You'll find nuggets for your treasure chest of learning. Hopefully you'll discover insights for your personal and your professional growth. I'm glad you're here. I suspect it's because you want to be the very best version of yourself, your personal best, and that you get understanding these systems and processes will help you on your journey, on your path. You ready to dare to soar? Want to join me at flight school? Let's do this. Thanks for joining me today. Hi, welcome to the podcast HR Inside Out. I'm your host, Susan Nay, and lucky us. Today, we're joined by Lisa Wilson of LMW Coaching, Consulting, and Mediation, and the author of newly released best-selling book, Leading with Ease, Creating a Solid Foundation for Your Leadership Role. Wow, congratulations and welcome, Lisa. Thank you so much, Susan. I'm really excited to be here. I've got lots of questions of you. So (laughs) for our listeners, a little bit more about you. So Lisa's a wonderful example of someone who chose to blossom when confronted with the reality of both a job loss and health challenges. In 2014, she was laid off from her human resources manager's position. And then a few months later, she learned that she'd had half of her thyroid removed in error. Now this sent her on a long process of healing, but it also encouraged a change of mindset and a decision to let go of what she describes as who she used to be. Lisa transitioned to offering her skills in a different way as a leadership vision coach and as a human human resources cultural consultant. Witnessing the impact of both poor and great leadership she now devotes herself to coaching leaders so that their teams can experience the excellence that they deserve. She uses her passion to teach leaders to effectively lead their teams by creating exceptional workplace cultures. With over 20 years of experience and training, she's now set up to fast track you, you listeners, to become the leaders that you want to be. Wow. <laughs> Lisa, I suspect that there's more to the story of the layoff and the medical error, because I know as a result of these life challenges, you did decide to do differently uh, when you returned to practice your profession. Are you okay with telling us a little bit more about that transition? And you chose not to go back into corporate, so I'm interested in that as well. Yeah, so the they're, they're two very separate things, but I chose not to go back in corporate because my last corporate job, while I always knew after leaving there, I wanted to start my own coaching business. Um, my last job was just so far from my values that I lost all confidence. I just lost all confidence in my ability to do the job. And and how I explain this to people is that I had people that I'd previously worked with when I said, I'm, I'm leaving HR and I'm just going into coaching. Because at the time I was just life coaching. I wasn't going to coach leaders because I wanted nothing to do with HR or leadership or anything. 
And I had people calling me that I previously worked with and said, no, 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 you can't leave HR. You're really good at it. You can't leave it. And I was like, I have to, I, I'm just out. I, I can't do this anymore. And so having stayed somewhere where my values didn't match for, th- it wasn't that long, it was three years, but initially they tell you you're wrong and you're like, no, I'm not wrong. We just, we just have a different way. And you can say that to yourself so many times, but the longer you're told you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. It starts to sink in. And so I lost all confidence in my ability to do it. So when I left, like I said, I luckily it was actually a blessing to be laid off because I knew I was going to start the business, but I never, you know, it would have been a, a never ending savings, right? Like I never would have saved enough money to start the business. So it was, it was a blessing to get the layoff. Um, also because I just didn't fit in there. So that's, that's where the transition to the coaching business was always going to start because I'd taken the course and everything. But the added extra layer to that was as I was getting insurance and things all put together, I found out that I had a lump on my thyroid and they thought that the lump had grown from 2.4 centimeters to 4.2 centimeters in six months. Wow. And so there's a piece I have to explain. Women tend to have lumps on our thyroid. It is a regular thing. We don't die of them. We die with them. So they just exist there. They don't really harm us unless obviously it's cancerous. Um, but even then, even if it's cancerous, they it grows so slowly that we tend to die with them, not of the problem. Yeah. And so they didn't understand because this normally grows so slowly. They went, you know what? Yours is growing too fast. We don't understand why it's growing so fast. So we suggest you get that side taken out. And when they took it out, the doc, oh, the poor doctor. Um, so there was a bit of a mix up in between as well in that I went to see a locum, but my doctor was away. So when I went back in he and the locum said, just put yourself on the list. It's going to take a few months anyway. And he said, you can always take yourself off. And I said, okay, because they don't touch it until it's four centimeters and four centimeters in cancerous. So mm-hmm. even at four centimeters, they're not really worried unless it's cancerous and they do biopsies to tell. And he said, um, so he, he said, put me on the list. And then my actual doctor did the surgery. And when he had to tell me, he had his head in his hands. He sat on a chair and his elbows were on his knees and his head was in his hands with his, like his fingers across the top of his forehead. And he said, what I took out was 2.4 centimeters. It had not grown. Oh my And so I had a part of my body removed on a typo. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And so it was, and there's lots, I don't don't want to take too much time with it, but there's lots between it. I had had a panic attack after I'd said I would take the surgery and I was like, don't do the surgery. And my mom's a nurse, so I'm not afraid of hospitals. I'm actually, so I have the opposite of white coat syndrome. White coat syndrome, for those that don't know, is when you get to the hospital, people get really nervous and they start to panic. Mm-hmm. I have the opposite. The moment I hit the hospital, I'm like, I'm here. Someone's people are going to take care of me because my mom's friends were there when I was growing up, right? Like that was my safe place. And so it was very bizarre for me to have a panic attack. But because of the panic attack, I actually got a second opinion and he just felt it. And he said, I can feel the lump, but I made a mistake in not asking him to review the, the, um, the ultrasounds that had been taken. And if I had, maybe he'd have clued in that it wasn't. So 
yeah, just a few wow. things. That, like, listen to your instincts. Yes, <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. And mm-hmm. it's interesting, uh, both um, huge impacts on you. But it's, yeah. Um, yeah, when you talk about how corporate culture can devastate you. Uh, yeah. When yeah. you're not when you're not in the right organization or the, the fit yeah. isn't there. Um yeah. and you know, when everything that you're doing is wrong. Uh just you're li- a living example of of the damage that can do. And and so now I talk to people about if you have someone that's not fitting into your culture, it is kind to let them go. It is kind. That is the kindest thing. Rather than constantly chastising them and trying to mold them to you, don't let them go. It's it's the better choice. I mean, the the it is an incredible blessing that they gave me the layoff. It was a it was a restructuring, um, but for me it was the greatest blessing because I needed to get out of there. I can't even imagine what would have happened if I'd stayed longer. But it was a really hard job to leave because I was paid very well and I had an incredible pension. And Holy so, <laughs> yeah. So you almost feel handcuffed. Now I'm in HR. I know better than that. And so there's this piece of, you know, me afterwards going, Oh, Lisa, you knew better. You were an HR and a coach you should have left so much sooner. Um, but I also have this drive in me and, and we'll talk about some of it later, but that I also have this drive in me that, that get wants me to keep pushing forward on things. And that was one of those moments where my drive did not serve me. It really was very much, okay, you know what? You're not going to change this ship. It's too big of a ship for you to change in from the area you're in and, and you're not going to get the buy-in that you need. So it was a very bizarre thing. So they walked me out and uh, this is not normal. They walked me out. That part's normal. They took my team because of where my office is. They were going to have to walk me out from the boardroom back to my office past my whole team. And I had 10 people reporting to me. So they took my team while they had while I was in the room, while they were giving me my notice and they put my team in a boardroom and my team was in the boardroom. They walked me out. Um, and just, just so everyone knows, it's okay that they walked me out. They weren't treating me like a criminal. They were making sure I was safe to drive home. That's why we walk people to the door, just to be clear. (laughs) I don't want people to think HR people are awful. So it's not wrong that they walked me out. Um, and, and they didn't want my, to make it harder for me to see my team. This it like, it is kindness that they were doing at the time, but they brought my team into the room and my, the, my boss kind of said to them, you know, she went over to see them as that I was getting my stuff and leaving. And she said, look, it's best to just sort of leave these things, you know, don't contact her, whatever. And one of my employees turned to her and said, it takes her 15 minutes to get home. I will be back in my office in 15 minutes and calling her house. And he did. I walked in my door and my phone was ringing. He knew exactly how long it took me to get home. And he called me. And then I had made a habit of if people quit or whatever, we would do a little, um, the company didn't pay for a gift. So we would do a, you know, people would bring in money. And so after I was let go, and even though I was walked out, which normally people don't do anything, the staff there, um, they did a collection, they bought me a gift and 24 people showed up for a dinner for me. And often the reason that we don't leave what are toxic environments for us is because of the people that we're working with, because yes, often yes. It's, it's not the people it's, no. it's things bigger than that. Yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't the people I worked with generally, it was my head office and the way they were directing me. So that yeah. was, the, but it's such a, it's just a good reminder that, that, but even with that, so think about that, that that's a really positive experience because most people, when someone's walked out, they just sort of, 
it's uncomfortable. They don't, you know, do anything with it. And someone went and did all of that. And yet still in my mind, I had failed in HR. And it took a while to come back to, I hadn't failed. The people who worked next to me obviously liked what I did. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think often that happens is that the team, you know, gets together. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But this was beyond the team. This was all like, there was, I only had 10 people reporting to me. There was 24 people at this thing. Yeah. But the little bit I've gotten to know you, that doesn't surprise me. Yeah. And, and and because of some of these experiences, I, I think was um, fuel for you to realize that that this yeah. could be done better in organizations. And and so you wrote about some of the basics of um, leading and, yes. and appropriate behaviors and the kinds of things that um, that we could be doing better. Your book is Leading with Ease, Creating a Solid Foundation for Your Leadership Role. And you were interviewed by CTB News and and talked about how frequently, and I've certainly seen it too, individuals are placed in formal leadership positions before they're provided training on the people oversight role. Now that they're doing, now that they're responsible for a team, if they're ever provided training. I think you noted that you've seen in your training people who have been in these roles for years before they're registered or they've been registered for leadership training. And this was part of the impetus for you writing the book. You wanted to get some of the basics out there for formal leaders so they didn't have to wait for a workshop to be offered. So can you can you take it take it further from me on this one? Absolutely. So I'm I'm glad you've seen it, too. And we still do it. And I want to say that it's not always on purpose. Sometimes we have a plan and we know who's moving in next and we've given them all the training and then they leave us. And so now we have someone that's not ready, but it was really important to me. The other, so there was two pieces to it. I created the course before the book. And when I looked at the course, I thought, what would I want to give a new manager? And I want them to get it all in one place. And so what I did is I said, okay, I don't like the traditional training that we do because we go away for four days and we learn about one thing. And we come back and we're so busy when we get back with emails and everything else that we take the binder and we shove it up on the shelf and that's the end. So I didn't want that. And so when I created the course, it was over eight weeks. I taught a lesson. I said, go practice, come back and we'll coach on that lesson. Taught a lesson, go practice, we'll come back. And so that's how the course was created. And the second piece was I wanted for new leaders to have the whole base. So not just one course at a time, it just try and give them a good baseline that that created a really solid foundation for them. And so that's where the four lessons come in. And when I wrote the book, they became four roots, but I'll share that after. Yeah, I want to yeah. ask about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah, so that was the baseline. But then what I found is that when people were signing up for my course, they weren't new leaders they weren't the new leaders. They, they were people who had been in the jobs five, eight, 10 years. And when I was saying things, they were like, Oh, I'd never thought about that. And these are not people who don't, who never went to courses. They did go to courses, but they were going to this course and then this course and six months later, this course, but again, the binders were going up on the shelf and that was the end. And so they'd never had anyone sort of put the whole base together for them. Um, And that really made a difference. And I'm always looking now at how to improve it because I think, geez, I hope this is landing with people right, and sticking and staying, but mm-hmm. yeah. 
And one thing with people who have been in the role is that they've seen some of those situations and realized, you know, the challenge yeah. of dealing with them, um, especially yeah. when they don't have the training. And they've already learned that they need to look at the bigger picture because yeah. that's some of what I talk about. Oh, that's huge. That's a huge yeah. piece. Um, now, Lisa's book is going to be on the show notes. There'll be a link um, in the show notes and it's also on her website for anyone who's interested in it. And it's a really, it's an easy read and it's, uh, yeah, it's just full of wonderful information. Let's dive deeper into the contents of that. Um, and I love that you build the chapters as roots. Um, a little bit on why roots uh, as opposed to something else. And then I'm going to take, take us into some of the chapters. Awesome. So roots, because when we hear talk about leadership, we always hear foundations and pillars. And those feel to me like big, solid, unmoving buildings. And now COVID was an extreme example of this, but we've been talking about it in HR circles for years that our world has been shifting really, really quickly for a long time now. Now, COVID, obviously, extreme example of that. But if you think about like how quickly we went from no phones or just flip phones in our pockets to having our entire computer in our pocket, you know, things have been shifting. So the idea of the roots is that we still have a solid foundation. So we have something grounding us and keeping us where we want to be. But when the wind blows, i.e. the world shifts or there's changing worldviews or changing technologies, we can bend and shift and we can move like a tree. So we can we can still move. We still have that capacity to move, but we're solid in the foundation that we've created. Love it. Yeah, yeah. and certainly some of those trees have almost <laughs> bent over parallel with the ground. Yes. With some <laughs> of, uh, of what organizations and often through their HR teams have yeah. worked with. Yeah. Um, your first route that you introduce us to is know yourself. And mm. uh, self-awareness is a critical component of emotional intelligence. That didn't surprise me. In the chapter, you talk about who am I? Why isn't everyone like me? And then you also introduce us to the personality profile tool known as DISC. Can you take it from there on the first chapter? Yeah, so I, I think this is really important. And I think we spend so much of our time wishing that we were something else instead of doubling down on our strengths. And so a really big part of this is, is knowing who you are as a person, what's important to you in that is talking about your own values, your own personal values and stuff as well, because personality assessments are great. They just give you kind of your baseline, but you also have a set of values that um, either from the way you were raised or your religion or, or different ways or just personal values, really. They don't have to come from anywhere something that's important to you. And we often will think, I wish I was some, like someone else, or I should be this way, or I should be that way. But when you know yourself well, you can come in and say, you know what, I'm really good at X. I'm not so good at Y. So I'm going to hire someone to do the Y. Right. So my example of this is always, I don't love details. I do not love the details of things. I do not love getting into the nitty gritty. I'm very much a big picture person. Now, it doesn't mean I can't get into the details because I can, and I can do the research and I can get that stuff done, but it takes my energy. And once I know that, I bring in people that, to work with me who do like the details, who mm -hmm. really want to get into the details. And I don't feel bad about it. I, I know that that's my strength. And I know that that person working for me, that's their strength. And then I, I thank them for it. And I let them be, I let them be in their strengths. 
So it's really important to do that. And the more you know yourself and I guess like yourself and accept yourself the way you are instead of wishing that you were something else, the easier it is to then say, okay, that's not my favorite thing. I'm going to hire someone to do that with me, or I'm going to delegate this to the person on the team who is going to excel at this. Mm-hmm. And then we don't feel bad about that anymore, right? Yeah. There's no wishing you could be more detail-oriented because you don't need to. Somebody else is doing it. Then you're also, everybody's playing to their strengths. So even yeah. on the team, and if yes. you prefers the detail and doesn't like being a big picture thinker, of yeah. working as a team, and that's where the diversity is so critical. Yeah. And I just, I love that you talk about don't compare yourself because you're not really comparing yourself to person X. You're comparing yeah. the, yourself to what, person X is trying to say to the world that they are and it's not necessarily person X right like exactly we are we are all unique and it's really important to just embrace that and and really understand what people's strengths are I think um, we've spent so much time working on people's weaknesses in our organizations that I think a lot of people really struggle with well what are my strengths so that's really important work for people to be taking And, and then celebrate them right and then celebrate them. Like I always often talk about, there's a, there was a particular employee that worked for me and she, she was incredibly emotionally intelligent. She had gone through some really rough things in her life. And so because of that, um, it kind of created this. So she lost a brother when she was young and that, and the way she handled it was so good. She went to see counselors and she actually did what she needed to do. And she came out of that so highly emotionally intelligent. So I took this team and we went and did disc. And right away, she clued into who I was. And she used to come in my office before the disc day. And she would be like, and this and this and this. And she would give me all the details. And I'm sure like she could just see I was squirming in my seat. Right? <laughs> yeah. So after that, she would make the effort to come with to come into my office and give me um, I can't use this because if there's young listeners, uh, Cole's notes for anyone who knows what that is, but abbreviated version, she would give me the abbreviated version of events. And she said, then, uh, one day she showed up at my office and she knocks on the door and she says, Lisa, I have something to tell you. You need to hear all the details. Would you like them now or after lunch? See, she had listened to the disc knowing that listening to her was going to suck my energy. So she gave me the opportunity to either accept it now and then go for lunch to bring my energy back up or go bring my energy back up over lunch so that I had the patience to listen to all of her stuff. Then what I would do is I had my desk and a table in my office and I would get up and leave my desk and I would go sit with her at the table so that I couldn't like turn and look at my emails or something else if I got squirrely, right? If I started to get tired, I might stop paying attention. And so I knew that. So I got up and I went to the table where I could not be distracted. And, and then the next thing was we got a lot of rollouts from head office. And so rather than try and sit there and think now, what would she like me to ask? I just started bringing her in. I just said, that's enough. She's coming with me. And, and she would come with me and she would ask all of the questions that needed to be asked. And then I had quite a large team there. So she would have asked all the questions that the other five people were going to ask me anyway. So when, so we, we celebrated each other. Right. And so she gave me what I needed. And then I would in the return, give her what she needed. And what I love when I do this in front of groups, because I always say, put, you know, raise your hand if you love the details. And then I always like, I don't love the details. And so I said to people, Hey, 
if you don't love the details, how awesome is it that someone would bring you the abbreviated version of events? And they're all like, yeah. And I said, well, for all of you who don't love the details, how good would it feel to get all the information up front? And they were like, yes. I said, so this is how we took, effectively, we took care of each other, right? And that's what you want on your team is so, and then we made really great decisions too, because she knew when she had to give me all the details. And it creates a language when you do the personality profiles, you know, yes. when you share and so that, you know, you can say, yeah, like she did. Yeah. When, when you want the details, you have to have them. And it sounds yeah. like a very psychologically self workplace, psychologically yes. safe workplace that you've created. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So wonderful examples. Thank you. Your second route is titled Know the Destination and you cover what is the final destination? How are we going to get there? And what is important? From your experience, what is it about this clarity that is so important in building excellent mm -hmm. leadership skills? So I gave, I, I had all the chapters in questions, but this is basically your mission, vision, and values. Okay. That's what yeah. these three chapters are. And basically what why it's so important to know these things is, and, and it's where the leading with ease comes from is that we get into positions where we have to make some really hard decisions, right? If you're a leader, you're going to make some really tough decisions. And, and sometimes when I get clients come to me, they're like, I don't even know where to start. And so where you start is your mission, vision, and values always. So if, you know, sometimes you're really frustrated, let's, let's just face it. There are people who do some, some, I don't even know how to describe it. Uh, 20 years in HR and people still surprised me. I was like, wow, where did that come from? Like there, I was still surprised after 20 years, which is shocking because I saw a lot in my time. But, but so when you get those and you get frustrated and depending on your personality, that frustration might make you vent and say, well, I want to do this. And, and it's not what you want to do. And so you do need that safety. If you're a venting person, go and vent. And then let that venting come out. And then you go back to, okay, what is our mission, vision, and what are our values? And how we're going to handle this is going to be based in those things. So I don't know if it's something that changed in the world. Um, then we can say, okay, how are we going to react to that while still keeping our eye on our vision, right? How are we going to react to this and still keep our, still stay within our values? This employee did something really awful. We're really angry with this employee and, but we have a value for respect and integrity. So we're not going to go yell at this person. We're not going to go and, you know, we're going to calm ourselves down and we're going to go in, we're going to treat this person with respect and integrity, even yeah. though we're pretty upset. Right. And so yeah. what does that look like for us? Yeah. yeah. And certainly as organizations are struggling with the hybrid model and mm -hmm. what works now that we're, you know, thank God, finally coming out of the pandemic. Yes. Um, yeah. Back to whatever the new normal looks like. Um, yeah, those are really critical. Of you know, what are our vision, mission, and values, and how do we, how do we continue yeah. to deliver those um, yes. in this different world? Uh, and there's so so many great studies and stuff on that now that the hybrid world works, but there is um, there is really importance to being in person at times, um, <laughs> and so there is importance to bring your team together at some point. And it's just how much for your team. I guess it's the diversity of the team too. There's going to be some that need the the people contact and others that can do without it. So trying to yeah, find that yeah. balance. 
Route three is titled Know Your Role and includes what's my role now? Am I allowed to say that? And whose job is it to tell them? I'm going to take us to the am I allowed to say that uh, and ask you to elaborate on this because I know from my own experience is often when people stump where people stumble in our work environments. So it is the number one question I get as a leadership coach. <laughs> I'm allowed okay, to say surprised. that. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, is it true? Yes. Then yes. <laughs> and so I'll give you the very basic answer to this question. Yes, you're allowed to say that if, and here's the caveats, if it is within your mission, vision, and values. And if it's not like, obviously, human rights complaints, things like that, we don't call people names, we don't. So yes, you can say it. For the most part, yes, and probably you should. If you're thinking, should I tell this person they did wrong? Yeah, 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 they did wrong. You go tell them. <laughs> Clear as kind. And that factual, the facts. You know, yes. people can't argue about facts. Yes. And people can't argue about how it's impacted me. You know, yes. those, are, those aren't things you can argue about. And they, those yeah. are really important uh, pieces yes. to remember. Um, yeah, and so... And so I think those are really big things that, but a lot of times what I'm getting is, well, am I allowed to say that? And I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, this person just lied to your face and you know, they lied because the information was literally right in front of you. So you can, you don't, I wouldn't say, wouldn't call them a liar, but I would say, why are you saying that when I'm looking at the email and mm -hmm. this is what was said in the email, mm -hmm. right? Like, you know, so you can directly ask questions um, or, and there's a politer way to say things and you come to the, the more polite way to say things, but, but yeah, if someone just literally lied to your face, you can say, Whoa, I'm looking at the email and that's not what's true. <laughs> right. Yeah, so yeah. there's a way to say it. Yeah. 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 And often it's the how. Yeah. How we say I think it, it's, how we it's, question it's, about that so that, yes. you know, you can be, yeah. I love the word curiosity. Yes. Yeah. Help me understand. Yeah, that's in the last. That's in the last section of the book is the curiosity. Yeah. Okay, well, let me. I'm going to go to route four. Okay, and it's about uh, titled "Know How to Discuss the Tough Stuff." You cover how do I prepare? That's important. What do I do during the conversation, and what good can come of that? Um, I know that there's a lot of conflict avoidance in our organizations, and and a lack of candor about uh, what's contributing to very disengaged work workforces. Yeah. Uh, and I suspect that you've seen that in the work that you do. Mm -hmm. Can you share an example from your experience of what this looks like when it's done well? Yeah, so I think the biggest thing here is that to remember, and I had said it in the last question, but that it's a quote actually from a Brené Brown book. And she says, clear is kind, unclear is unkind. And so the number one thing is getting really clear for ourselves what's going on first. And I asked some questions in the book, and it actually comes from a couple of books, but one of the books is called Difficult Conversation by Stone, Patton, and Heen. Mm -hmm. And they take you through a framework where they say, um, they talk about your feelings. So what feelings is this bringing up for you? Um, they ask you the question, what actually happened? And what does this say about who you are? And so when you answer these three things, number one, a very long story about what happened becomes a two sentence thing. Um, and so the example here, I'll give you the example that I give when I'm in, when I do the training and um, some people get this, the younger generation doesn't take this on so much. So I will explain as we go, but I go get my coffee at 10 AM at 10 AM. I see John having coffee with Jane first day, think nothing of it. 
Next day, John and Jane still having coffee together. After weeks of this, what do I start to think? And this is where I have to explain because the younger generation does not think this. Um, <laughs> I start to think, uh-oh, there's something going on with John and Jane. Now, the reason I say, uh-oh, is because John is Jane's supervisor. Now, in HR, wherever I worked, we had some rules around this. You couldn't report to people that you were dating or because there's so many issues with that. And um, I very rarely had a rule that you weren't allowed to date at work, but if you were, you needed to let someone know so that we could be aware and make sure that there was never any conflict of interest. And so that's, again, the younger generation does not think the way that we do. <laughs> so that, that so, still tends to be, you know, and certainly the organizations I've worked with in, that tends yeah. to be, that's the norm. It's yes. just what you've described. Yeah. And so now I say this, okay, I have a choice as the HR person in this story. Do I go and confront John? And how do I go and confront John? And so when you ask the first question, what happened? Do you know what happened? John and Jane have coffee every day. That's it. The rest is a story I've created. And the story that I've created is I think that they're having an affair of some kind. And so now how I choose to go and talk to John and or Jane, depending on where I want to start the conversation, really makes a difference whether I ask myself what happened what feelings is it bringing up for me? And what does this say about who I am? Because as I start to go through this, so what happened? Nothing, they have coffee. The rest is a story I've created. Mm -hmm. What feelings is it bringing up? I'm nervous because I'm afraid I'm, uh, because I'm afraid I'm missing something. And as an HR person, if I don't know what's going on, I feel like I've, I'm failing at my role. And so that's what's going on for my identity, right? So, I mean, there's, there's we could go far deeper into that, but I'll leave it at that. Um, <laughs> But those are kind of the three things that are going on. And so if I don't ask myself those questions and pause and say, okay, what did I hear? I might go to John and say, what the heck's going on with you and Jane? I see you having coffee every day. But if I do ask those questions, like, okay, wait, they're just having coffee every day. And now I go in and I say, hey, John, I noticed you're having coffee with Jane every day. Is everything okay? Right? And that's a very different approach mm -hmm. to the mm -hmm. conversation than walking in and accusing John of having an affair. And, and, you know, we can add a, a bunch of what ifs to it. What if John is a married man who has a very high value for fidelity? Mm. I've now just insulted him. And do you think him and I are going to have a relationship after that? No, no, we're not. And so this is the how do I prepare is really think about what did I actually see? What did I add to this story and remove all of those pieces that you added? And what I give is the explanation to the end. This isn't a real story, but it's just a, a sort of something that I made up is that Okay, the reality is John is a person who likes informal meetings. He meets with Jane at 10, he meets with Joe at 1010, and he meets with another employee at 1020. And I love the reactions I get from that because I had one employee go, boy, John has a lot of time for coffee. <laughs> <laughs> he should probably be doing more work. <laughs> it's like, well, as a manager, that's his job is to get, you know, be in yeah. touch with his team. So, yeah. um, so, but these are the kind of things that happen, right? And so it's the how we approach it. And when it's done well, it's not only important in the things where we might confront, because I think when we hear the terms difficult conversations, we always think it's something that's always a confrontation that's a bad confrontation. But confrontations can be good, right? So they can be, I don't agree. 
this is the way mm -hmm. I feel about this situation, right? And so when I teach this training, everybody, like I said, everyone has a different opinion about whether John should be having that much coffee. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. Too many coffee breaks for John. Um, so there's all of these different opinions. And the more that we get comfortable in having these conflicting opinions, the better our decisions get. And so if you can have the really tough conversations, so the, the ones where like, I sort of explained like, you know, hey, John, uh, what's going on there? Um, if you can get good at those ones, the the smaller ones get even better and they get more comfortable. You know, at least I hear that you want to do that. Uh, here's how I see that. You know, and I'm afraid if you did X, Y, and Z, that's where it's going to take us. Have you thought about this? And and sort of now all of us, and when we get into that whole disc, right? We get into the whole disc. All of us are thinking from who we are and what our strengths are. And now we're getting a really, really good decision. Because we're, we know who we are, we are allowed to be who we are at work, we're comfortable in that, and then we're celebrated for it. So we're willing to come in and disagree with someone who might have a stronger personality. Yep. Wow. Thank you. And a wonderful example. Yeah. Uh, and exactly. I'm glad that you did uh, conclude with uh, how it ended up. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I do laugh, though, because I've done this with the, like, with uh, people, I will say, under 20. Uh, or not even under 20, sometimes under like, maybe even 30 now, <laughs> under 30. And I say, so what do you think I start to think? And they all look at me blankly. <laughs> they don't, they don't think that John's having an affair with Jane. That's important, particularly as human resource professionals. Yeah. Of understanding context and, you know, yeah. we've all been raised with, with, with different back, mm -hmm. you know, sort of things that have happened around us and, and we yeah. have to be paying attention to that. Um, well, and their view of the world is very different from ours, but, and that, and I don't want to get into it, but that whole binary, non-binary, where we see two people sitting together, we start to think something's going on, but they have no idea what that person's background is. They think nothing of it, nothing. And, and when you're a leader, you know, all of these pieces add complexity to people's insight, you know, and it's important yeah. to, to, mm -hmm better at this and to you know to learn, yes. learn. yeah for them and john and jane are just best friends <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah just that simple yeah in your last chapter you put it all together by talking yes. about culture change and sharing stories on a case study um i'm often asked the question how do you change a workplace culture in fact i got i got asked just recently what tips would you provide to our listeners on this important question slow and steady and how you change a workplace culture. Um, I'm often shocked at how much my message is the same as what a marketing person's message would be. And so that saying and doing the same things over and over and over again. And so you can't say you're the friendliest place and then yell at your staff in the background. That's not okay. So you have to, what you say, who you say you are, you have to behave that way every day. And that's how you start to change the culture. And I mean, culture is, it's a sum of both your formal and informal systems. And so if you're not paying attention, the informal systems will create themselves. And so, I mean, there's usually, you know, a certain number of managers, but a lot more staff. And so as managers, you have to be saying the same things over and over and giving the same message all the time so that the noise from other employees, if you might have an employee who's feeling disgruntled, so that that noise from them doesn't affect the group. Mm -hmm. um, and I, 
I wanted to give an example here. And this was the, so our culture again, informal and informal systems. I had an employee come to me and I was working somewhere. It was, I actually went back to my own hometown and was the HR manager at one of the largest employers there. And so this guy that I grew up with, I knew very well, um, you know, we were, we were a year apart in school. We knew each other really well. He walks into my office and he sits down and he says, Lisa, can I ask you a question? I said, well, of course, number one, we're friends. I said, but number two, you, you guys all know that my door is open. You're always welcome to come in and ask questions. And he looks at me and he starts to say the question and he doesn't even finish the question and he gets up and leaves. And I said, where are you going? And he said, until I said it to you, I didn't realize how ridiculous it was. And I said, well, what do you mean? I said, like, now I'm curious. You need to stay and you got to tell me what's going on. And so he said, okay. And I don't remember what the situation was anymore. Like that part is gone for me. But what he said was he knew what was going on, but he sat in the lunchroom and someone said something. And the first time, and it's exactly what I told you at the beginning about me with the workplace, them telling me I was wrong. <laughs> he said, the first time he said it, I went, that's ridiculous. The second time he said it, oh, come on, that's ridiculous. But after days and days and days of hearing him say this, I started to believe what he said. And it wasn't until I walked into your office and looked at your face and went to ask the question that I realized, oh, my first instinct was right. It's ridiculous. So you had this very loud employee in the lunchroom saying something over and over and over again. And it was probably something about management be because the guy came and asked me, right? So I think he was probably saying, well, management is going to do this or something. And so then when he came in to ask me, he looked at me and went, wait, management is Lisa. She's not going to do that. Mm -hmm. right? Like, mm -hmm. Or at least it is one of the managers. But yeah, um, yeah so... So yeah, so it was really interesting. And so that's, when I tell that story, that's your culture. Mm -hmm. So while you might have a formal system, and and I mean, we were at the time doing meetings regularly with staff where we would tell them what was going on. And yet still this person yeah. every day yeah. is in that guy's ear, right? Yep, yep, yep. And can so, and they're loud. Yeah, yeah. So, and changing cultures is not a okay, we're going to change the culture, snap of a finger and it's done. It takes no. time and you're right. It takes walking the talk, consistently walking the talk and really, you know, what and are the values? And yeah. a marketing plan. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> but yep. it's a marketing plan that requires a behavior to follow it. Because when you say to a client, we are the friendliest place, if the client's not in your in your building every day, they may never know that you're not the friendliest place, but when you say to an employee, this is the friendliest place to work, and then they're there every day and you're not the friendliest place, you're not getting them back. They, they will feel that dissonance and, and they, you won't get them back. Um, and, and our business is now more and more the moment a client hears that you're not good to your staff, they're gone too. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. Oh, so yeah, was, slowly but surely. <laughs> yeah, as, as I was listening to you, I'm thinking, and it's got to start with the top. Yes. I don't, I don't think you can change a culture unless there is a complete buy-in by the yeah. full senior executive and where it's modeled to, you know, there can yeah. be countercultures, but um, yeah. you know, it's. But, but for the leaders who are in a place that's feeling toxic, um, you can change it by just being the better leader. And, oh, absolutely. And, I'll, and I'll explain 
that in a way that what I, in what I call ripples, and I'm dealing with it right now. I, I'm working with a um, a company that just merged, so there's several, and I'd worked so it's really two smaller places have merged into a larger place, and the one place I've been working with for a long time, so they have considered their culture. They know. They, they've heard my um, harping, I'll call it, <laughs> about, you know, consistent, consistent, consistent. If you yeah. say you're this, you be this. And so they've moved in. This one guy, um, I, he's he's doing what he said, what I've, he what he's been doing for the last number of years in this new place that doesn't have that. And they don't have that training and they don't have that culture. And so he's starting to do it. And I said, just keep doing it. Just keep doing it. It's going to ripple. I promise you it'll ripple. When people start to see how well it's working for you and how happy your staff are, what'll start to happen is the moment you have a job up, everyone's going to hear how good your team is. And they're all going to start leaving to come to you. Yeah. And he said, I said, and then what's going to happen from that is the, either your management's going to have to see what's going on or the the management like the at the same level as you so not the people you report to but the people who are beside you yeah. they're going to see what's going on and they're going to be like how are you doing that yeah. how are you doing that yeah and he went to a, uh, he went to an interview to move up he wants to move up to the next level he went to an interview to move up and uh one of the managers sitting in the interview said we see what you're doing and i said you see and he said what i said ripples it yeah. ripples it Perfect. will ripple yeah. Yeah. So keep being the best manager you can be, because if your team starts functioning really well, other people get interested in that. Yeah. And thank you, because yeah. that's really important. Because um, yes. there's you, you, you can see pockets within organizations where things are done quite differently. And I have watched that ripple or, or, or work to create that ripple, too. Yeah. I before I was going to uh, move from the book, uh, you had you talked about your beyond the book coaching workshops and you you've used examples of those any quick extra little bits before we move to a different area so what i did with the beyond the book is um when i rolled out the book i a bunch of people bought the book the first day and we had a training session right then on each section of the book and what i did for others who weren't around when you know who might not have been my followers at the time i did a i've now recorded all of those sessions and they're available they're available on, on there to purchase. So it's basically, it's the conversations that we had about the day to day. And we had people come in from very different areas. And so they had some really good practical questions and that's uh, how to handle all of these things in the day to day, because it's all nice to put it in a book and to say it in theory, but there's stuff that happens in the day to day that you're like, wait, Lisa, how do I connect this to that? And that's basically what's in these conversations. Okay. And again, that'll be on the show notes to the podcast awesome. um, and on your website uh, yes. for people that want to purchase that. I'm going to, I'm going to take us to a different area. Um, I learned that you were once shy, which surprised the heck out of me because I very much enjoy watching <laughs> your live streams on, on LinkedIn. You've obviously overcome that. Uh, <laughs> and I suspect there's a story there because, you know, for our listeners who are introverts, um, you know, we have to, Using the disc, we've got to pull our D up and become that directive yeah. and become the social extrovert, if, if nothing else. But you seem to have been able to just push the shyness away completely. Yeah. So I'm what they call an ambivert. And so I would be very outgoing in certain situations, but not in others. And when I, I like that you gave me this question in advance, because I was like, wow, how did I do that? 
Um, but you know how I did it was that my first job, uh, well, not one of my, it's not my first job, but one of my first jobs, and it's a company I talk about in the book at Magna International, they had a very clear culture. And very clear culture that told me what my job was. And sometimes people get upset when I say this, but my job, I didn't touch a part and therefore I was overhead. In being overhead, I just had to make sure that the people touching the part had it as easy as possible. And so please don't, and this is what people think is that then I was treated poorly. I was not treated poorly. I was also treated very well at this company. Um, when I say that, people kind of take it the wrong way. It's not that. It's very much that my role was clear, that the people that touched the part were the people that were making us money. And that's how um, that's how we had to consider these things. So as HR, I was not to sit in my office and think that the people could come off the floor, that the employees could come off the floor and come get what they needed. I better walk out on the floor and ask them what they needed and where possible, bring it to them. Other times I couldn't do that. I would have to make... Um, you know, there's sometimes forms and stuff that I'm not having them fill out on the floor. Um, but there were certain things that I could just bring them a form or I could bring them a number they needed or whatever. So I would go walk the floor, ask everyone what they needed, and then I would come back with what everybody needed and for uh, or make appointments with the others and then talk to their supervisors about getting them covered. But it was very, very clear to me. Now, when I got there, I was still very shy. <laughs> and so um, I basically couldn't do my job if I didn't get over it. And so the first few times I walked that floor, I mean, it was, uh, it was really hard. It was really hard. And as I'm sitting here today, I realized what I did eventually was I emulated my mother and my sister. And so my mother and my sister are incredibly friendly people. It's not that I'm not friendly. It's just that they're very outgoing. Um, my mother is a nurse, but if she sits in a doctor's office for her own appointments, people tell them her, her tell her their life story. Like that's just who she is. Yeah. And so she um, and my sister, the, it was kind of a joke with my sister. She just walks up to people and says, hi. <laughs> and she's just always been that way. So between the two of them, I'd kind of seen the behavior that was needed. And so my, I also have this drive and my drive to be in HR went, said to me, you don't have a choice anymore if you want to keep doing this, you've got to get over this. And then there was a next step in that. So still working at Magna, uh, we did employee meetings once a month and had a boss who had an illness that would just pull her out of work at the last minute. And if she did, I would have to take over the employee meetings or one of us on the team would take over the employee meetings. And I went one time, so last minute and somebody else's presentation, not mine. I just had to go up and read the slides, right? I went and it was terrible. It was so terrible that the general manager said to my boss, Lisa can't do it anymore. <laughs> she either gets her public speaking up to par or don't ask her to do it again. And so again, my drive wasn't gonna allow that to happen. So I went to Toastmasters and um, and got comfortable standing in front of people. Yeah. But you found Toastmasters really helpful? It was, yeah. So for me, I'm a... Um, I, I'm a doer. So how I learn, there is a way, there's, I think it's kinesthetic learning. And you can correct me if I'm wrong. I don't yes, remember if yeah. that's right. But yeah, yeah, so I'm kinesthetic. I need to go and do it. Once I go and do it, now I get more comfortable. And so I'm, st I'm actually still in Toastmasters and it's many years later because I know that it's not my most comfortable place to be. And so there's still nerves when I get up to speak and all of that still happens. And the moment I walk away from Toastmasters and I stop getting up in front of a group once a week, every week, I start to go back into bad habits and 
things come up. So I, I stay just, just so that I'm up in front of a crowd regularly. Interesting. Interesting. Mm -hmm. And wow, way to go. Thanks. In in recognizing (laughs) that it's practice, 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 right? I mean, we talk about what, 10,000 hours before we become, you know, truly proficient at something. Yeah. Um, And, you know, we don't public speak every day of our lives. So um, Mm -hmm. yeah, way to go. Now, you've also participated in several book collectives. Uh, You were a speaker with Dr. Anita Jackson and contributed to her global voice. Now, for Mm -hmm. our listeners, this is a collection of the voices, and I've stolen right from the interview overview, so bear with me. (laughs) A collection of the voices of up-and-coming feminine empowerment leaders who have decided to share more of their voice, their stories, their pain, and the wisdom that they've gained from finally speaking their truth unapologetically. Each co-author inspires and empowers you to say yes to your own story while giving you permission, all the permission you need to yell your story from the rooftop. Now that, I mean, that sounds exciting. It's like, oh, where do I sign up? (laughs) Um, (laughs) Being part of this collective and others um, must've been a really incredible experience for you. did you find that that saying yes helped you move forward um, in some of the struggles that you were challenged it, by? It really did, actually. Um, so in her in this book, this was the first book I was in, and I was in three consecutively. Um, so this was the first one was uh, her global voice. The second one was something called Heal. Um, it's it's a group of of um, it's a group of people who have gone through some form of healing journey, and usually we didn't get the assistance we needed from the um, traditional medical system. So those, that was heal. And then the third book is something called blue talks and blue talks is business. So it's kind of like Ted talks, but it's, um, blue is business life universe. And so you're allowed to connect them. So in heal, it was really help or it's sorry in her global voice. I told the first time the story about what happened with my thyroid and um, there's more, I mean, there's, there's so much more to that story. It, the, I also had a very odd reaction to that surgery. I lost a lot of energy and I have never regained it. And so that was really difficult because for a very driven person who everything is kinesthetic, all of a sudden I burn out within minutes. Like, like if I do more than say a half an hour bike ride or something like that, I'll get through it. But the next day I'm going to suffer. I will burn out. And so changing and starting to tell that story about the mistake and things, it really was a healing way to deal with what had happened. Um, And then I took from there, I went into the heal book and now heal obviously is very much about healing. Mm -hmm. And so from that, it's sort of, I sort of continued the story, but in two different books and, and continuing the story about what then went on and how I worked through all the things that I needed to learn about myself or relearn about myself now with this new exhaustion. And it's, it's a very bizarre thing to explain to people. Cause if they haven't, if you've never felt it, a real true I, burnout is the only word that comes to me, but it's like, it's a cellular tired. You're tired. Every piece of your body is tired. Your legs don't want to move. Your brain can't function. Like everything is gone. And so then I continued that story there. And then in the blue talks, because it's business life and universe, I took that story and I started to bring it into what I wanted or the lessons I'd learned as far as business and leadership. So I could connect what had happened to me 
with yeah. all three. And they're, I mean, they're, they're short chapters because they are collections. So we've each got a certain number of words to write them in. And yeah, it was a, it was a really great experience and was a really safe way to start with the whole idea of writing my own book. <laughs> so for our listeners who are um, contemplating becoming authors, because uh, yes. I know that there are a number, a growing number of these kinds of collectives uh, starting to uh, fill gift baskets. I know yes. I've received a few and they're just lovely. Yes. Um, yeah, just uh, something to consider. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Um, now, you were also on the Creator Soul Journey podcast with Trish Murray, and you did an episode called Keepers of Culture because she'd seen one of your posts on LinkedIn. And you shared you'd become frustrated with being a leader because of working for the company with the culture that you weren't thriving. Mm -hmm. You reference the importance of cultural alignment and the need for keeping a culture. Can you talk about the key? And we've talked a lot about, about yeah. the importance of some of those, those aspects. We haven't talked about the keeping the culture, the maintenance of the culture. So a few more words on that, if you wouldn't mind. Sure. So as the leader, if you say this is our culture and then someone starts behaving outside of your culture, it's your job to bring them back in line. And and I don't want that to be when I talk about mission, vision and values, I talk about the the vision being that far off place that we're always going to be striving to get. But it's prob we'll probably never get there because often in our vision, there's a word like better. So so we'll just never get there because there's always something better. Right. And then in our mission is is the road that we're on and how we're traveling it. But our values are the guideposts. Now we say the guideposts are really far apart because you want people to be able to have creativity, right? So you want some creativity in that. But when someone goes way off and they're now outside of your values, it's your job as the leader to bring them back in and to bring them back in line. And what I hear from people sometimes is, but he's our best, whatever. He's our best, whatever. She's our best, whatever. Well, no, she's not, or no, he's not. And the reason is because if what they're doing is harming your culture or harming the people working with them, then the rest of the people aren't working as well as they could be because of the behavior of that one. Mm -hmm. You as the leader need to deal with that one and keep your culture. So you have to protect it. You protect that mission, vision, and values um, and in all ways. Right. So if you have clients coming in and treating your staff inappropriately or wrong, then no, the customer isn't always right. They don't get to come in and beat up on your staff. Uh, you know, like that's just not OK. Yeah. Yeah. And and so there is a culture that, hey, we're the friendliest place to be. But if you come in and treat us like crap, we're not going to take that either. Right. We're not going to allow that to happen to our team either. So in the keeping of the culture is everything that you see that isn't doesn't fall in line with the way that you want things to be or the way that you've said, more importantly, the way that you've said things will be. Every time someone goes beyond outside of that, it it just rips away from your culture. Yeah. And it's important to have those conversations as we've spoken of earlier. Yeah. And it's the story that the employees keep telling, right? So yeah. we we pass culture by stories. Um, so if you think about all the cultures, all the, you know, any culture, any religion, any end of that, we do, we, we share it by sharing stories. And yeah. so if your employees ex have one story that, that is just a really bad example of how things were handled and they just keep sharing that story, doesn't matter how many good stories you tell, that one is still really harming them. 
Oh, and the damage that does. I mean, that's yes. the gossip at the water cooler. That's the stuff that gets talked about yeah. um, when, when people get together. So, so critical to, to deal with it yeah. quickly. Now, in that same podcast, you referenced Jim Collins' book, Good to Great, and the, the encouragement about getting the right people in the right seat of the right bus. I love that. And it you talked about it. it's not that people are bad. It's just no. that sometimes there isn't that right fit. And we've talked about that earlier. And that in your personal experience, only a very small percentage of the companies that you've been employed within have actually done this well, about getting the right people into the right seat on the right bus. Mm-hmm. What do you think needs to change to change that percentage? And particularly in that we're in a skill shortage situation and likely will be for, for a while. Yeah, I think there's a uh, there's it's a harder statement for me to make right now because that's what people say, but we just need a body. I think that if you're if you're working in the right way, there's always an answer to the problem. There are tons of companies out there who will come and consult for you. So if you're, you know, you're struggling with a marketing person, there's a marketing com- company for that. There's I'm actually shocked sometimes the more I've been in in um in working for myself, the more I see how many companies are out there mm-hmm. and and what they're doing, right? So you can outsource basically everything. Um, you know, you could just be a CEO and and just have a bunch of outsourcing. So that's a possibility. And so this goes back to what your culture looks like and finding the right solutions. But I think it's so important to have the right people in the right seats, even in a skills shortage, because the moment you put that wrong person in the wrong seat, the, I mean, we've, okay, so I'm going to give you to both ways. When you have the wrong person on the bus, and we've all been in the situation where there's that one employee that drives everyone crazy right? There's that one person who just drags the whole team down. And I've had them on my team. And I I just, I'm always shocked with, I couldn't fight it. Didn't matter how pleasant or whatever I was. The moment this person walked in the room, everybody stopped talking and we went all business. And then we left and I was like, but I'm the manager. And I'm specifically saying, what'd you do this weekend? When she wasn't in the room, they would all answer the question and we'd all have a good conversation. The moment she walked in conversation over business only, see you later. And so she just changed the culture of the team and there was nothing I could do about it. So knowing that it, it was better to remove her to keep what we wanted in our team. Yeah. Now we've also experienced, so if you haven't experienced that one person, because there are people out there that haven't, you've experienced the one really, really happy person who makes the day brighter when you have say a, an assistant so you're the person you see the moment you walk in the door somewhere, when you have a really pleasant assistant, the rest of the workplace is awesome, right? Yeah. Or yeah. you have that one person, yeah, that one person yeah. that just makes it so good. So we've experienced one or the other. And when that when that really great person is removed, everybody else is like, oh, you know, <laughs> she's gone or yeah. he's gone, or, you know? Yeah. 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 So I, if you have experienced the negative side, you've experienced the positive side. And I spoke to someone one time and I said, you know, it's amazing. Leaders don't necessarily have a title. Because she described a story of how great their workplace used to be. And their workplace used to be great because they had an admin assistant who would plan parties and lunches and things. And she would just brought the team together. And once she moved on, no one picked up the torch. And so she's, and the whole culture in the workplace dropped over one missing person. And so admin assistant or not, she led that place. Yeah, leadership isn't necessarily in the formal positions 
nope, Absolutely. it's not. <laughs> yeah. Lisa, and for our listeners, Lisa and I talked about some of the questions that we were going to talk about, and one was about self-confidence. I think we probably addressed, addressed we did, that yeah. in uh, responding to some of the other um, areas. Mm -hmm. so I'm going to just move on. Okay. Your work as a coach, consultant, mediator, you help organizations and individuals with conflict resolution and building leadership. What are you seeing as the most typical challenges in the work that you're doing? Um, and I, I guess I'd say beyond what we've already talked about. Mm -hmm. I, I think the biggest thing is a lack of communication. And and I, I touched on it a little bit already, but there's a lack of communication and there's a lack of understanding and not just in generational, but in different backgrounds, we, I mean, we're a very global world now. A lot of companies don't have physical locations. So you just have people all over the world working together and really getting clear and understanding what things are like for others is really important. So the lack of communication and our lack of ability to um, really ask those tough questions, right? Is that okay by you? Is that, and I think we're getting better it's, it's getting better, um, but there's still a fear around it. So I know I work with, um, I'm in a mastermind group and it's based out of Ireland. And so being the girl from Ontario, <laughs> I often say, well, wait, what does that mean? What does that mean for you? I don't understand. Um, and they'll then explain it to me. Well, Lisa, if you were here, you need to understand X, Y, and Z has happened in the past. And, and then they explain and I'm like, oh, okay, now I get it. But because I'm from Ontario and Canada, I don't, and, and I like, okay, so better than that is my mother's Irish. So, but we're not like, we're several generations in, in Canada now. So I do have an idea of what went on there, but not the reality of what they're living every day. And so yeah. getting that full understanding is really important. And I think there is a move now, um, our workplaces cannot be just about the workplaces anymore how you treat people matters because it's people will leave now because there is a skill shortage you can just go but not only will people leave but our clients or our customers are paying attention to what's happening in a company and they're voting with their dollars so really taking care of people is is me it's really making the big difference when you have those great companies that where everyone's communicating and everyone's celebrated for their strengths we're able to shift and easily move no matter what and they and even when they make the mistakes they come out and they're just honest right you know what we made a really big mistake here they don't hide behind it they don't try and say nothing they don't they just come out and say yeah so integrity i guess is a big one in the corporation but and and then yeah. you know i i communication is huge and when you do engagement yeah. surveys that's always what comes typically top as something that needs to yeah. be worked on. You know, it doesn't yes. always get the highest marks uh, and something we need to be working on even more in our Zoom world when we're yes. not actually seeing people in person. So uh, may not see really how people are presenting, you know, yeah. if, they're, if they're not doing well. Um, so uh, that doesn't, that doesn't surprise <laughs> me. Now you're also a mom to two step kids. And uh, I know you teach and coach how you transfer the skills that you're teaching in your yeah. in your courses, um, because of course it's all good stuff and it's it's applicable everywhere. It's not just yeah. the work environment. So a, a moment on that. Sure. Parenting is way harder. <laughs> it's way harder because you can't fire them. <laughs> 
So uh, it is, it's way harder, but I think, I think if you can show up in who you are, so I actually, I, <laughs> there are some things I definitely find harder in parenting, but it's partially because I'm a step parent. Um, so I didn't have them in their formative years. And so I'm picking them up at the second half of their childhood, right? And so there's some habits and stuff that were in place. And people have said to me some things, basically, I'm trying to change a culture in a family, right? And so, yeah, so I'm I'm trying to change it. And for two kids who had things one way and now had this very, um, very, very consistent <laughs> new stepmom. It's like, I'm incredibly consistent. We eat at six o'clock. We like... And, and partially because they needed it because they'd had so much inconsistency. Their dad was a fly in, did fly in, fly out. So my current boyfriend used to fly in for two weeks somewhere and then he'd fly out, be home for two weeks. So they'd had a very inconsistent life. And so basically this was me now trying to change the culture for them to this very consistent, but also consistent in you make that mistake today, you're getting this punishment. You make that mistake tomorrow, you're getting the same punishment, you know, like it was very, very consistent. So it was, um, yeah, it was, it was, a, there was a lot to learn. Um, and when to let go is, is hard too, yeah. <laughs> because they're 18 and 19 now. So um, yeah, like now they're needing to fly the nest and I'm still working on that. And my daughter's I know. 49. <laughs> so, so I, I'm in my forties and I'm currently driving my parents' car and my brother's got their other car. <laughs> because both of us had cars break down. Oh dear. Oh dear. Oh, our car got crazy. They're crazy families. I said to hey, my I, mom, I said, it doesn't matter how old we get. Eh? She said, no, I'm still stealing my car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and thank you, because it, it, I think it's important to understand that all this, this leadership stuff is so applicable and, and does have ripples across all aspects of our lives. It's not just uh, the time that we spend in our organizations. So I'm just I'm looking at the time and um, working to bring the podcast to a close. Um, your vision is to assist leaders. Um, you seem to work more with small and medium-sized organizations, just for our listeners. Uh, you inspire teams to work together as a cohesive unit. We've talked about that. Um, and to help with the discovery of untapped potential through a, a focus on vision, mission, and values and goals. Um, and of course, when our organizations, when we've got the right people on the right bus and the, the right seats, um, you can't help but enhance profit and communication and decision-making for not just the leaders, but um, but all of the team members. You offer workshops, you work, you offer HR um, cultural consulting, uh, you do one-on-one -on -one leadership vision coaching. You also do mediation. So I just want to take us for a moment to talk a little bit about mediation and the work you do um, before we, we conclude. So my focus in mediation is, is mainly inside the organization. And so when you have a supervisor and employee who aren't getting along or two employees who aren't getting along, or maybe it's two supervisors who aren't getting along, I'm that third party to come in and try and get them communicating again. And it's not, um, again, never two bad people. Uh, they most might be really great in the way they work. They're just not, whatever's happening is um, they're just rubbing each other the wrong way. And that's so then we come together and we have a conversation about here's how your behavior is landing for me. Here's how your behavior is landing for me. And then we we make sure that each understands the other 
Um, once that's done, we start to work on, okay, what does it look like going forward? Like you get, like at the end of the day, who we work with, we don't actually have to like them. We really don't. We just have to be polite and work together well, and that's okay. And that's all we need to do. And so that's what we work to get to. Um, I find once the communication happens, though, things get a lot better, much quicker. Um, I had, so this isn't a big part of what I do. When I first started, I am a trained mediator. And so I just sort of put it on my website um, and it's still there, but it's under HR consulting. It's not like, it's not its own title or anything. Um, so you kind of had to know me to know I did mediation. When COVID hit, I did more mediations in six months than I'd done in seven years of business. Uh, and it was because everything that was going on any small rub between two people just exploded. It just exploded. I did. And one of them I did was a group mediation and um, it was terrible. There was a toxic workplace prior to COVID. Uh, I went in and, and talked to the entire team. Uh, they most refused to come into some form of group mediation. And so we didn't end up finishing it, which the, the company that hired me knew might happen, but at least their team got to give their stories to someone. Um, but it was, it was incredibly toxic. Like uh, my boyfriend could tell I'd spoken to one of them. He didn't know the company or anything else, but he, he could see in my face. He's like, oh, you've spoken to another one. <laughs> I said, yes. Yeah. It, takes so, us home. Yeah, that's yeah, the it, it totally, yeah, it does. And it's, um, but it's so rewarding as well. And um, in that toxic work environment that I worked in or the, the environment that, that was toxic for me, I'll, I'll put it in that way. So in, in that environment that didn't fit me, I was on both sides of a mediation. So I had someone make a complaint about me and then I ended up making a complaint about someone else. And um, I'm going to tell you that it doesn't feel good on either side, but if you can bring yourself to do it, to, to speak your truth and say how uncomfortable it is for you, if you can bring yourself to do it and then sit in that meeting, things can get better. So if you can, if you can bring it forward, do. Um, it's not comfortable. doesn't feel good doesn't feel good for anyone in the situation. It doesn't feel good for the person making the complaint. It doesn't feel good for the person getting the complaint made about them. But afterwards, it can be really positive. For our listeners to engage in mediation, all parties need to agree. Yes. It's, it's not something that's completely voluntary. And the mediator is a neutral third party yep. that helps with the participants in actually hearing what each other has to say hopefully to, well, it's about the hearing and yeah. going forward more positively. So I thought that was important because, mm -hmm. you know, we often, it's, it's a really important conflict resolution tool that yes. I don't think is, is used often enough. You like to inspire, motivate, challenge assumptions and drive positive change. We've covered a ton of ground. Any final nuggets for our listeners before we, we close? Um, I thought about this. I was like, wow, we covered a lot of ground, but, um, I think the main thing I want to say is even if you don't have the title, these types of things will help you because it doesn't matter if you're not carrying the title. And I know we ended up talking about it in another question. It doesn't matter if you don't carry the title, how you show up to work every day makes a difference. And it makes a difference in the culture and in the way things are happening around. So if you're showing up in a way, even if you don't have the title, you're going to affect that. So do that. 
um, go ahead and do that. So use the tools, the tips and things that we've talked about here, regardless of whether you have the title or not, but especially if you intend to have the title someday, just show the behaviors now and you're more likely to move into that role. We've used lots of examples of people who have been that positive influence and, you know, some really excellent ripples that have happened as a result of that. Mm -hmm. Leading with ease, creating a solid foundation for your leadership role. Lisa Wilson's best-selling book um, available on her website and through Indigo, if I remember correctly, and through Amazon for anyone who's interested in, in ordering it. Wow, thank you. The points that you're making, the uh, all of what you've written about in your book are just so incredibly important to create the kind of workplaces that you and I want to work within. Yes. Um, and even as consultants, um, you know, the organizations that are created is doesn't matter where. Um, this is all really good stuff. So um, just thank you. It is time for us to go. I so appreciate your making the time to uh, to be with us. And um, Lisa and I are recording. Um, Lisa's father had surgery and has recovered very nicely. And so she very, very kindly still agreed to come and record with, with us yeah. so that we could learn of all your expertise and very, very much appreciate that, particularly in the circumstances. So yeah, and, yeah. Uh, continue to get well to your dad. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. So it's Lisa and Susan signing off. Remember, dare to soar because we believe you can. Both of us saying goodbye. All the best. Thanks again, Lisa. Thank you. Well, we've reached our destination for today. Time to lower those wheels and prepare for landing. Thank you for joining me. If I said something that resonated with you, please subscribe to the podcast and to share it with others. It would be awesome if you also took the time to provide a review whatever your favorite social media sites are. If you have a question or an area that you hope I'll cover in a future session, please send me a note either to my website, www.effectingchangefromwithin.com or to my email, susangenay at gmail.com. I look forward to our next time together. In the meantime, soar high. I believe you can. Susan signing off. Thanks again for joining me.